All right, everyone, what's up? Welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. My name is Nigel Bajos, and this is the first episode of season two. So if you are just tuning in to this podcast, I have an entire first season that has about 20 episodes in it. So this is a podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community, talk to other creators in the space, and just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. So yeah, this is episode one of season two, and I hope you all had a great Christmas and holiday season and a good new year. Today's episode is gonna be a Q&A. So I asked questions on Patreon, Instagram, and my YouTube community, and you all gave me a few questions. So I'm gonna get through those. First off, I do wanna point out that I have a little bit of a new setup now, which is pretty sweet. This is a new microphone that I got. It's a dynamic mic, so hopefully this will sound a little better. And yeah, since this podcast has become a normal part of my content creation, I figured I might as well drop a little bit of money on some new podcast gear. Honestly, though, this wasn't even that expensive as far as microphones go. I think this is only like 50 bucks or something like that. It's a Mayono mic. It's basically like a competitor to the Samson Q2U. So it's pretty cool. It works via USB-C and it can plug right into my iPad. So that's what I'm doing. I'm recording right into GarageBand. Anyways, enough gear talk. Let's get into the questions. So if this is your first time here, I always answer questions from my Patreon community first. That's one of the perks of supporting me on Patreon. So if you would like the opportunity to interact with me more, ask me questions that will be answered here on Patreon first, and I'll also give you a little shout out, definitely consider joining me on Patreon. I'll have the links in the show notes of this episode. So the first question is from Todd Campbell. And Todd asks, sorry if you've covered this before, but I was wondering if you have an opinion on creating YouTube content with an iPhone. I've just bought a 14 Pro and it seems like a big leap from my SE model I previously owned. Would be interested to know your thoughts. Yeah, so if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm not a huge tech guy. I don't really care that much when it comes to tech. I use an old iPhone myself. I'm actually currently using an iPhone 7. I ordered a newer iPhone model, but it ended up having something wrong with the screen, so I had to send it back. I'm still rocking my iPhone 7, so I don't really ever create like video content with my iPhone, but I've been seeing some footage from my friends who have the iPhone 14 Pro, and it looks really, really good, especially with the new cinematic mode. You can get a little bit of that fake depth of field, and you can even shoot ProRes on some of them. It's pretty cool. I say if you don't have a camera and your iPhone 14 is all you have, I would say absolutely go for it. I'm not really the best person to talk to when it comes to like mobile filmmaking, but some channels that I would point you towards are like Blake Calhoun. He does the Almost Professional podcast and he has a YouTube channel as well where he literally just talks about mobile filmmaking. Uh, Patrick Tomaso did an entire video filmed on the iPhone 14 Pro. And even my buddy, Nate Swella, he has done some videos on the iPhone 14 that have been taken off recently. So I'll definitely say go check them out. I'm not really a huge mobile video shooter the only like thing that i do with my phone as far as like video goes is sometimes i'll just take little behind the scenes videos or some little b-roll shots with my iphone this iphone 7 still shoots 4k and i can still you know mix it in with my big camera stuff and no one's really going to tell the difference because they're just like really quick insert shots but yeah actually another question on patreon from christian stenner is I like that question. Oftentimes I feel intimidated by the capabilities of modern smartphones and I wonder why I even bother buying a cheap camera. I would definitely say modern iPhones are getting really, really good and that's awesome, but I don't think that they're at the point where they're going to replace a cheap camera. Like you could give me an iPhone that shoots 6K in ProRes, but I would still 
personally rather use like a hacked EOS M that shoots 14-bit RAW with a Super 35 sensor in it. That's going to give me a much more pleasing image than an iPhone with their minuscule size sensors. So, you know, to me, I feel like most iPhone footage looks still just too much like a phone. Like it looks plasticky and way too sharp. It doesn't have like that organic natural feel, but they are getting better. So I'm excited to see how good they get in the future. There is one YouTube channel where I think it's called Lumen, Lumen something studios. I'll leave his YouTube channel link in the description below, but he uses an Android and he's able to shoot like 10 bit on his Android phone. And that footage actually looks really good. It's through like this third party app. So like I have seen stuff that looks good on on smartphones, but as far as iPhones go, unless you're using some like, you know, fringe Android with like, you know, a weird app that no one's ever heard of before, typically all iPhone stuff kind of looks the same. So I wouldn't ever not shoot on a regular camera as opposed to an iPhone. But if it's all like, if it's the only thing you have, there's so many different accessories and so much information out there about how to get the best out of your iPhone that I would definitely say don't stray away from it, especially if you don't have a camera yet. So those are the only two questions from Patreon. So now I'm gonna go to my YouTube community page. So the first question on the YouTube community page is, do you ever feel trapped by being in the budget camera gear niche that makes you feel like you can't get a nice camera with all the bells and whistles? I know I got the GH6 and that kind of made me stop wanting another camera because it has everything I want except for autofocus. But maybe the GX6 Mark II in a couple of years could resolve that issue. Curious on your thoughts. Yeah, so this is something that I kind of, I don't know, I struggle with a lot because I am in that budget camera niche and I feel like it's only really a problem if you're kind of obsessed with buying new cameras. Now, I've said before that like my camera needs are gonna be pretty different to anyone who's a working professional. So like if I was still a working professional and I was using a GH4 still, that would be fine, but Honestly, I would want to give my clients the best image that I possibly could as efficiently as I could as well. So I would probably want to upgrade to like a GH6 or to like an FX3 or something like that if I was a working professional. But for me as a YouTuber in the niche that I find myself in, I don't see myself needing anything more than what I currently have. And I can always try to justify, you know, buying a GH6 or an S5 Mark II. But in the the grand scheme of things, my EM1 Mark II is doing everything that I needed to do. Great autofocus, great image, and that's really all I need. And I've, you know, like worked with it enough now that I feel pretty confident in making good looking stuff out of that camera. So, you know, sometimes I do feel like, man, I just want to buy an FX30 or I just want to switch systems altogether. And I may do that. Like, I feel like I can transition my audience into, you know, other camera systems because I'm not like, even though a lot of people think that I'm like the micro four thirds guy or I'm the Panasonic guy, in reality, I'm just the budget filmmaker guy. And I feel like as I grow as a filmmaker and a YouTuber, my audience can grow with me. And I can switch to like Sony or Fuji or Canon even pretty seamlessly as long as I stay within like that budget filmmaking niche. And it's funny because I just put out a poll on my YouTube community and what a lot of people think budget is, is a little bit different than like what a working professional would think budget is. You know, I talk to a lot of people who do this like full time and like they're on set all the time. To them, dropping two grand on a camera is like really, really cheap. But, you know, to a lot of my audience, it's like a 500 to $1,000 range that they consider reasonable for a budget camera. So yeah, it's very different depending on who you ask. But to answer your question, yes, I do feel trapped sometimes, but 
I don't feel trapped to the extent where I feel like I can't move away from shooting micro four thirds or I can't move away from, you know, shooting on a sub $600 camera. I, I definitely think that I could buy a slightly more expensive camera. And I think my audience would, you know, be with me for it because hopefully they've grown to the point where they're not still shooting on $300 cameras. Right, the next question is, how do you feel about the PDAF, which is phase detection autofocus on the S5 Mark II? Finally, everything Panasonic is amazing. Plus phase detection in a single camera. I have a GH6 and FX30, but I'm considering leaving the Sony for that S5 Mark II. It's basically a better video camera for my needs. I feel like we're going to get a lot of questions about this S5 Mark II, which I just recorded the second episode of this podcast, which I think we'll dive into it a little bit more and even possibly even more on the third episode of this podcast. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's cool that Panasonic has introduced that into the S5 Mark II. I loved the original S5. There are parts of me that kind of think that they're a little bit late to the game. And even Patrick Tomasso's video showed that like the autofocus on the S5 Mark II isn't necessarily even as good as the a7 IV. So I'm sure it'll get better and better with time, but I'm really looking forward to when they put that in a micro four thirds camera. <laughs> All right, next question is Salam, Mr. Barros. Blessed be the year ahead of us. I would like to ask about how important it is to find interesting locations and events to shoot. I live in a tiny island with not much going on. I would love to have guidance in finding interesting points around ourselves thank you before. I would definitely say that having good locations to shoot at is definitely going to help make whatever you shoot a lot better. I've always said that Oregon was kind of like a character in a lot of my videos because I would go out and film a lot of my videos out in like the beautiful spots in Oregon. Here in Dallas, it's kind of, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. There are beautiful places in Texas, but not a lot super close to Dallas, at least not that I've found yet. So unless I want to drive four or five hours to get someplace pretty, I basically have to try to find whatever place I can in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I would definitely say if you would want to take a photo there, that's a pretty good indication that you'd probably want to film a video there. Those are really the only tips I can give on that. All right, next question is, hi, Nigel, what are your plans for your channel in 2023? So my plans for my YouTube channel are gonna be a little bit different. I kind of want to introduce a little bit more of like a raw, maybe vlog, maybe not, but just a little bit more of like a raw feel to my videos. I feel like I put so much pressure on myself to have them like super polished and set up my talking headshots perfectly and all this kind of stuff where it's just like, I feel like the videos that I resonate with a lot more are just kind of like the raw, like vloggy talking to camera, not vlog like Matty Hopoya type of vlog, but just, you know, a little bit less scripted and less presentational. So I wanna to try to lean a little bit more towards that. And I wanna do a lot more freelance work this year. So hopefully I'll have some actual behind the scenes for that type of stuff. I've been meeting a lot of filmmakers here in the Dallas area. So hopefully I'll have some projects that I can actually work on. All right, next question is, hi Nigel, I'm currently shooting with an S5 as my main camera. I'm starting to do some mini docs and more interviews and was looking for a really budget camera to use as a B cam. I previously had a GH5 and have access to Micro Four Thirds lenses. Would you recommend a GH4 as they are nice and cheap as secondhand in the UK? How do you feel they would match? And will the GH4 have enough dynamic range to use as a B cam? If you have an alternative suggestion, that would be great too. If your budget is like a GH4, I haven't really checked the prices. I mean, I know it's different in the UK, but I almost feel like a GH5 might be a better option. I know you already had one, but like, I mean, a GH4 does have V-Log. It's V-Log L, so it's not the same full V-Log that you find on the S5, but you should be able to match them pretty easily. So, 
yeah, a GH4 would be a pretty good option um, as long as you're you know willing to deal with it's only 8-bit internally. If you have like an Atomos Ninja, you can get 10-bit 422 out of the GH4, which is pretty sick. And, you know, a 10-bit VLOG L file should match pretty well with your 10-bit S5 stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I really can't think of any other alternative other than the GH4. Like, obviously, get a GH4 that has the VLOG L upgrade. But, yeah, I mean, if that suits your budget... Go for it. So those are all the questions from the YouTube community page. And now let's go to Instagram. So the first question on Instagram is any recommendations on cheap, affordable lights? Man, under a hundred bucks. You might be able to find a Godox SL60W under a hundred bucks. That would be probably the best light that I could suggest. There are probably some like like LED light panels from like Viltrox or GVM that are under a hundred bucks. But as I've said before, I would just say focus on your lighting modifier more than the light. If you can find a SL60W for under 100 bucks, that's great, but don't neglect your modifier. So a softbox, or in my opinion, the better option is a Fotex softlighter. So the Fotex softlighter is gonna set you back another 100 bucks. So it's not the cheapest accessory in the world, but it's definitely my favorite. And again, I'll leave a link to all the gear that I'm talking about in the show notes of this episode. All right, next question is any recommendations on a good but affordable variable ND filter and size recommendation? Yeah, so the variable ND filter that I use now, and I've had a lot of variable ND filters. I've had Nissi, I've had Tiffin, I've had Freewell, Seven Artisans, Tie Photo. The best one that I've used actually is from Seven Artisans. They sent it to me. It's a 1.5 stop to 8 stop variable ND. And it obviously, like every variable ND is going to give you color shift. Don't believe any company that says zero color shift. It's just two polarizers being stacked on top of each other. So it's going to shift your colors ever so slightly, no matter which one you buy. But yeah, the Seven Artisans one is really good. It has a really good range. I don't really like getting the 2 to 5 stop and then 6 to 9 stop ones because I don't like having to switch out depending on where I am. But yeah, the Seven Artisans is great, really good range, and doesn't shift the colors that much, and it retains a, a lot of sharpness. It's better than the Tiffin, and it's more usable than the Nissi, because I still have the Nissi. The Nissi, I think, gives a little bit better quality and less color shift, but then the Nissi is only a two to five stop variable ND, whereas the Seven Artisans is a 1.5 to 8, I believe. So that would be my recommendation for a variable ND filter. Really well built. It's all metal, except for the actual glass. And uh, it's not too expensive. I think it's like $92. And as far as size recommendations, I would just find the lens with the largest filter size. So if your biggest lens filter size is like 72, I would say get a 77 and then get step-up rings for all the other lenses in between. So what I do is I have a 77 millimeter variable ND filter. Like a few of my lenses are 67 and 55 I'll just get step ups I'll get 55 to 77 67 to 77 and I think my smallest lens is like 46 so I'll get a 46 to 77 step up ring and that's how I adapt one variable ND filter to all of my lenses uh, favorite wide angle 8 to 10 millimeter range for MFT so I've used the Laowa 10 millimeter and the Laowa 7.5 but honestly if I was going to get a Wide angle lens for Micro Four Thirds, I would definitely go with that new Leica 9mm f1.7. It's actually not that expensive when you think about it. I mean, it's $4.99, but I've seen it on eBay for like, you know, $4.50 or something like that. And it's a Leica branded Panasonic lens, 9mm at f1.7. So that's pretty good. And that's something that I think the Micro Four Thirds 
lens lineup was really needing. If you had a lot of money, you could go with like the 10 to 25. Those are like 1200 bucks or something like that in the used market. But but I'm guessing that's not really what you're going for. All right, next question. Favorite EF lens, if you have one. Um, one of my favorite EF lenses is actually the 24 to 105. I use that a lot when I was shooting weddings. And Whenever I borrow it and use it with like a 5D Mark III or Mark IV, I always really like that lens. It's really versatile and F4 on full frame is actually a lot more usable than you think. I would like to know a different camera angle for filming. Uh, I don't really know how to answer that. I would need a little bit more context. All right, this next question, 35 millimeter versus 50 millimeter lens. Um, well, for me, I like 35 millimeter focal length. That's one of my favorites. Uh, right now on my EM1 Mark II, the lens that like basically lives on there is the 16 millimeter, which gives me a 32 millimeter field of view. So I just think that it's pretty versatile. And honestly, I don't shoot a 50 millimeter equivalent very often. All right, next up, is there a better cam upgrade from the G85 in your opinion that's in the Micro Four Thirds world? Yeah, I would honestly say that the EM1 Mark II is a better upgrade than the G85. Same type of image stabilization, just as sharp of an image. You're getting a flat profile and you're actually getting really good autofocus. Plus, you're not gonna get any crops when you adapt a monitor to it. When you put a monitor on the G85, this is what I absolutely hate. Like, I don't know why Panasonic did this, but you put a monitor on the G85 and it crops into the image. Not just cropping in on the monitor, like the image crops in on the sensor. And I don't, I feel like they just did that because they didn't want it to be a super professional camera. It does not make any sense. I have an EM10 Mark III and I even had the EM10 Mark II. Those are like really cheap cameras from Olympus. You plug a monitor into those, there's no cropping. But on the G85, it crops and it's so annoying because again, it doesn't just crop on the monitor. When you go like the actual recorded footage has an additional crop which there's already a crop in 4K on that camera. So yeah, the EM1 Mark II, no crop in 4K, no crop when you attach a monitor to it. So I would definitely say, I mean, I'm obviously biased because that's the camera that I use, but I have used the G85 before and between the two, I like the EM1 Mark II a lot better. Okay, next question. What makes you inspired to pursue a project? That's a really good question. I feel like I get inspired really spontaneously a lot of the times, like the little coffee ad that I did. That was really inspiring to me because I love coffee and I love skateboarding. So a lot of it has to do with the things that I'm already really involved with. So yeah, for personal projects and YouTube videos, I just really get inspired a lot of the times by either the movies or videos that I'm watching. On YouTube, I don't really watch a lot of like filmmaking content. I mean. I do watch some, but they're kind of like fringe YouTubers. Like I don't really watch any like the really big filmmaking YouTubers, but I watch a lot of skate videos. And so I feel like skate videos almost inspire me more than my fellow filmmaking YouTubers do. All right, next up is I want to get into filmmaking. What program would be a good for editing videos? Well, if you have absolutely no prior knowledge of video editing, then I would say try to learn DaVinci Resolve. It's a little intimidating at first, but there are a lot of videos that will teach you how to use it. If you have a Mac, Final Cut Pro is a much simpler video editor to use. But yeah, if you're on PC, I would say go for DaVinci. I would say skip Adobe, even though that's what I use. Adobe needs to, I mean, the program has never, like it hasn't crashed on me in like two years, but it's just, it gets sluggish sometimes with every new Mac OS update. So that's my only gripe with Premiere right now is that like with every OS update, it starts getting sluggish and sluggish until Premiere optimizes their program for the new update. That's the only frustrating thing for me, but if I could go back and learn one program, I'd rather learn DaVinci because it's cheaper and it's a more powerful program overall. All right, next question is, 
Why do you keep shooting Micro Four Thirds when all the other bigger sensor cams objectively provide better images? Now, to be honest, I would have to disagree with that statement. All the other bigger sensor cameras objectively give better images. I'm going to call BS on that. They don't objectively give better images. They just might have better low light performance or, you know, give cleaner images in high ISOs. But that's like saying a Sony a7C gives a better image than the Blackmagic Pocket 4K. It doesn't. The Blackmagic Pocket 4K has objectively a better image than a Sony a7C because it shoots Blackmagic RAW and has like 14 stops of dynamic range and can shoot in ProRes and has all these features and honestly gives a much better image than a Sony a7 III or a Canon EOS R. Those are all big sensor cameras, but it's not all about the sensor. It's about the dynamic range. It's about the codec. It's about how much bit depth you have in your actual image. A GH5 is still gonna give you a better image objectively than like a Sony a6600. I think the newer cameras like the FX3, the Sony a7S3, the FX30, those do give objectively better quality images than say like my camera, like my EM1 Mark II, but it's all about who's using it, what lenses you're using, the reason that I use Micro Four Thirds is because I really like the form factor of most of their cameras. I like the image that most of their cameras give. I mean, it's just what I've been using for the longest time. That's not to say that I won't upgrade to a bigger censored camera. Like I've been really considering Fuji and even the Canon EOS M system, the original one, just cause you can shoot 14 bit raw on those. I feel like if you think that full frame gives a objectively better image just because it's full frame. I think that that's false. All right, what is your dream camera plus lens combo? Uh, I mean, I don't really have a dream camera and lens. I feel like cameras just keep on coming out every single month, it seems, and I don't know. All cameras are good right now, and I don't really have a dream camera that I think is gonna make me like the best cinematographer ever. Cameras that I wouldn't mind messing around with are like, I'd love to mess around with a Red Komodo or an FX3. Or, or maybe a Fuji X-H2S. If there's a camera that I would just like to like own forever and just like never get rid of it, probably like a Blackmagic Pocket Original with a proprietary Metabone speed booster for it. And then like a Sigma 18 to 35 with the anti-more filter installed. That's just a great little camera I feel like still. And it's one of those cameras that like, it's not being produced anymore. So it's almost gonna be like a relic at some point. So uh, I might have to pick up one of those and just keep it and never sell it. <laughs> All right, next question is, why weren't you on that S5 Japan trip? Most of them that flew out weren't even Panasonic shooters. Yeah, I don't know why I wasn't on that Japan trip. Probably because I don't talk about the newest and greatest cameras. It's not really, really like what I do on that channel. It is true that like a lot of the people that they flew out don't even shoot Panasonic most of the time, except for like Patrick Tomaso and maybe like Jordan Drake. Almost almost everyone else was like flown out. Oh, and Emily from Micro Four Nerds. But almost everyone else is like either a Canon or a Sony shooter, which I thought was kind of funny yeah i mean i've been shooting on panasonic for decades now and you know panasonic they've reached out to me like once but yeah they don't really notice me because i'm not talking about their latest and greatest cameras it is kind of weird though that like you know panasonic is almost trying to like poach the sony and canon shooters which is a really good strategy but sometimes i definitely wish that like other companies would treat their creators the way sony does like it's so compelling to 
like as an influencer to shoot on Sony because if you get noticed, if like if Sony notices you, like they treat their creators and their influencers really, really well. Like they fly them out and they do all these, you know, press release stuff. So yeah, I mean, it'd be cool if Panasonic did that. It would be cool if Panasonic actually recognized some of their own creators. Like I was surprised that like Ed Prosser or Rob Ellis, like two hardcore fans of the Panasonic S5 weren't in that big bunch of people that were flown out to Japan. Rob Ellis is like one of my favorite YouTubers and he wasn't even out there and he uses the S5 all the time. So it was kind of, I mean, it's kind of weird, you know, Panasonic strategy. They've never been really good about like having a good like influencer company relations. I feel the same way with like Blackmagic and Olympus or OM Systems. Like you never see any like black magic ambassadors or you know like olympus had like their visionaries but almost everybody on the olympus visionary team is a like photographer slash filmmaker not strictly a filmmaker like om systems like contact me like i exclusively use an olympus camera and i'm a filmmaker like i mean sure i take photos too but i'm a photographer in the same way that i'm a cyclist right like i know how to ride a bike but i'm not doing it every day so yeah i mean you know to answer that question it is kind of weird that like panasonic almost seems like they're trying to poach like the sony and canon shooters which i guess is a smart strategy but i do kind of wish that they would you know take care of the people that have been using their camera system for a really long time like people like rob ellis ed prosser all right next question is if you had all the money in the world what would your ultimate camera setup be well i guess if i just had all the money in the world this is kind of a stupid answer but i probably wouldn't spend it on cameras i would buy a house and you know maybe buy myself a new car but if i had to spend all my money on cameras i'd probably go with sony like i'd get a couple fx3s maybe an fx30 and an fx6 just because those are really just good all-around cameras or i might go the panasonic route get myself like three s5 mark ii's and like an s1h2 when it comes out the only thing i don't like right now about the panasonic full frame lineup is that there just isn't as many lenses available for them as there is for sony that's the only that's the only real reason why i would choose sony over panasonic right now sigma and leica do have lenses for Panasonic, but there's just way more available for Sony right now. All right, next question is, what's the best mid-range hybrid camera and where does the Fujifilm X-T4 rank? Uh, mid-range hybrid camera. I feel like mid-range, if they're talking about the X-T4, I feel like the X-T4, X-H2S, the S5 Mark II, and probably even the A7 IV probably all fit into like that mid-range hybrid camera. And if you're talking about the best right now, it's probably gonna be like a three-way tie between the X-H2S the S5 Mark II and the A7 IV. It just kind of depends on like where your priorities lie. If you're more of a photographer, then I would almost say the A7 IV, the Sony A7 IV would be good. But honestly, the X-T4 is also really good for photography. If you lean a little bit more towards video, the S5 Mark II is probably a better bet. But yeah, I mean, the X-T4 is still great. The only thing I don't like about the X-T4 is the same thing that I didn't really like about my Olympus EM1 Mark II. It's that the IBIS, the image stabilization, it gives a really weird wobble, like warpy effect, especially when you're on wide angle lenses. So that's the only reason why I don't really like the X-T4. And it's one of the things that I don't like about my Olympus. All right. And speaking of Olympus, this is our last question of the podcast, Panasonic or Olympus and why? Well, if we're talking micro four thirds, it's probably going to be Panasonic. Even though I shoot Olympus and I love Olympus, I probably wouldn't tell anyone to go out and buy an Olympus camera unless you really needed 
autofocus. Now, there is the Olympus OM-1, which is like, you know, 2,000 bucks. But again, why would you spend 2,000 bucks on an OM-1 if you could buy a Panasonic S5 Mark II that has, you know, pretty comparable autofocus capabilities and way more options when it comes to video. Honestly, I would say it's probably Panasonic hands down. Olympus really needs to refine their OM-1. They probably need to like drop the price. I think that 2000 bucks for a Micro Four Thirds camera is pretty high, especially if you don't need autofocus, which, you know, the OM-1 doesn't even have as good an autofocus as my EM-1 Mark II. It's like, why would you buy the OM-1? Unless you were just a real Olympus fanboy. Like you can buy a GH5 and get way better image quality out of it. You won't get great autofocus, but again, if you don't need autofocus, there's really no reason to go with Olympus. That's the one reason why I still have an Olympus camera is because it has really good autofocus. So yeah, if you're in the Micro Four Thirds system and you don't need autofocus, Panasonic. If you're in the full frame world, if you want a full frame look, there is no option from Olympus. So Panasonic, again, is a really good option. The original S5 is going to be really, really cheap, probably in like the $1,200 range pretty soon because the S5 Mark II came out. And even the S5 Mark II at 2000 bucks in its class is a really, really attractive price point for what that camera can do. So yeah, that is all of the questions that I have for this episode. I'm really stoked to be starting up season two of the Law Lens podcast. This is one of the funnest things that I've done. And I just love the podcast format because it's just so fun to talk about gear and techniques and also bring on guests to this podcast and just shoot the breeze about filmmaking and YouTube. It's just the funnest thing ever. So thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for next week because we're going to have another guest on, which I'm pretty stoked about. So yeah, thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you all next time. Later. Later.